YV Whitehall Glens Falls. It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Tuesday, February 20th. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. This week, we're focusing on stories on the region's complicated history for black residents. Today, the history of the local Ku Klux Klan, which had chapters all over St. Lawrence County. The largest rally I found recorded was some 5,000 people on the Pottsdale-Norwood Road, where they recruited 500 new members at one rally. More on how the Klan drove out most of the region's black families coming up. The North Country lacks enough emergency medical responders. Healthcare professionals at Clarkson University in Potsdam are trying to double the number of EMS workers with a new program. And the Adirondack Center for Writing is hosting the North Country's Poem Village. Anyone with ties to the region can submit a poem that will be shared around the community from the bank to store windows. One of our sponsors, Adirondack Health, puts these small little pocket-sized poems on people's trays when they uh, hand out meals to their patients. So the bank is handing them out to people with their deposit slips. All that's coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Long Run Wealth, an SEC-registered investment advisor in Lake Placid, providing comprehensive wealth management, retirement, and financial planning solutions, longrunwealth.com, and Fisher, Bissett, Muldowney, and McArdle, attorneys and counselors at law with offices in Malone, Tupper Lake, and Saranac Lake, 800-941-5001. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. The Saranac Lake Winter Carnival Committee has released a statement after controversy broke out last week over a Confederate flag. A local business owner drove his truck in the Carnival's parade, and that truck had a Confederate flag design on its hood. The Adirondack Diversity Initiative said displaying the flag during Carnival was wrong, since it's a symbol that perpetuates racism and division. In a statement, the Winter Carnival Committee said it heard local concern about the flag and about another parade group that had signs calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. The committee said it's addressing, quote, all areas of Winter Carnival at this time in preparation for the 2025 event. It offered no additional details about why the truck with the Confederate flag was approved to be part of the parade or how it may change its policies in the future. The North Country is suffering from a shortage of emergency medical services workers. There are a lot of reasons for that. A wave of retirements, low pay, the stress of the coronavirus pandemic, and education. For many, the only certified training programs are a few hours away. And that can be an insurmountable obstacle for North Country residents who can't uproot themselves. But in St. Lawrence County, Clarkson University just started a nine-month paramedic training program. Officials say they hope to double the number of paramedics in the county in just the next year. Amy Feierisel reports. According to a 2022 study done by St. Lawrence County, there were about 25 paramedics working in the county that year. But there were 17,000 calls. That's inadequate ALS or paramedic coverage. 
That's Doug Wildermuth, the director of EMS and experiential learning at Clarkson University. In rural St. Lawrence County and our surrounding areas, um, like anywhere else in the healthcare field, we definitely have a, a employee shortage specifically on paramedics. That's why Clarkson's just launched a new paramedic training program. The school received a USDA grant for that purpose. The first cohort of 17 paramedic students started in early December and will graduate this August. That could mean a 70% increase in county paramedics, says Wildermuth. Going from 25 paramedics in 2022 to potentially 17 more in the area come nine months later, uh, that's a big footprint. A huge footprint. And that's because EMS trainings have to be accredited by the state. And there are very few paramedic programs in the North Country. The next closest paramedic program to the east is in Elizabethtown. To the south of us, the nearest paramedic program would be SUNY Upstate in Syracuse. Both of those locations are two-hour drives away. That limits who and how many people can get paramedic training and has made it hard for St. Lawrence County residents to get trained without upending their lives. But the first cohort of Clarkson's program is changing that. Wildermuth says most of their 17 students are within a 30-minute drive from Potsdam, with a few further afield from Alexandria Bay and Plattsburgh. We wanted to go ahead and create a nice, uh, local, quick, affordable program. The program costs $8,500, and about half of the current students are on some form of scholarship. It's also just nine months long. That's short compared to other paramedic training programs. They usually last a year or 18 months. The shorter time frame means more concentrated work, with students full-time in school four days a week. But at the end of the program, Wildermuth says graduates will be ready to take a federal and state paramedic exam, and then they can get to work. We're not interested in making sure they grab their certificate and do nothing with it. We, we want them in the back of the ambulances on the road, that's for sure. And graduates should have no problem finding work, says Wildermuth. Paramedics are in particular demand, and they make around $25 to $30 per hour, compared to the $20 per hour that EMTs make. That's because paramedics require more training and can administer critical care in ambulances en route to the hospital. They're able to go ahead and put in IVs, administer IV medications. They're able to intubate. They're able to articulate and look at so many more cardiac rhythms and understand them for the better diagnosis of the patient. Clarkson Hall, where the program is being run, is a great place to learn those skills, says Wildermuth. That's because they have access to special facilities and equipment from other departments at the school, including a cadaver lab, human body models and mannequins, and a large simulation space where they can set up scenarios like car crashes or house calls. And it brings real-world life experiences without waiting for the real-world life call. Wildermuth says they've already got cohorts number two and number three planned for later this year. So we can go ahead and ensure that we're doubling or trying to double the amount of paramedics out there within a year and a half. That's one of our long-range goals. He says they're hoping to run the program as long as they can. Amy Feierisel, North Country Public Radio. This story is part of NCPR's ongoing series on health care in the North Country. You can find the full series at ncpr.org under the News tab. (music) 
New York regulators approved new rules to allow marijuana plants to be grown at home for personal use. Last week's announcement comes three years after then-Governor Andrew Cuomo legalized recreational marijuana. John Kagia uh, from the state's Office of Mar- uh, Marijuana Cannabis Management says fears around homegrown marijuana are largely unfounded. While we know that home cultivation of cannabis can raise fears of large grows in densely populated residential areas, the experience from other states tells us that that really isn't the case, and it really informs our outlook for how personal cultivation might impact the New York adult use market. Kagia says the rules for recreational growers build on the requirements for medical patients and caregivers that were implemented last year. The regulation will go into effect in mid-April after a public comment period. Patients at St. Lawrence Health can opt for virtual urgent care appointments starting this week. Folks looking for treatment for mild conditions like pink eye and stomach aches can be seen virtually by a doctor, physician's assistant, or nurse practitioner. Research shows that telehealth services reduce unnecessary trips to the emergency room and allows healthcare providers to see more patients in a day. Telehealth appointments are available 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. daily. And Champlain Area Trails, a local land trust, is offering two free outdoor events for families during the February school break this week. The first one is a beginner cross-country ski lesson at the Katyville Recreational uh, Recreation Park on Wednesday, tomorrow from 1 to 3. Skis and poles will be available on a first-come, first-served basis. The event is a partnership with Plattsburgh Parks and Rec. According to a press release, Katz is also inviting families to a beginner snowshoe hike at the Sophie's Lair Trail in Willsboro on Saturday morning. The Land Trust will provide snowshoes for folks who need them, but participants are encouraged to bring their own. While the events are free, pre-registration is required and donations are welcome. If you're interested in attending, you can visit ChamplainAreaTrails.com for more information. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's 11 minutes past 8. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Just ahead, the Adirondack Center for Writing wants your poetry. This spring's poem village will expand from Saranac Lake to Malone and throughout St. Lawrence County. And we'll get all the details coming up in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. Music by Rights and Tongue in Edwards. Northern Light is supported by Adirondack Foundation, connecting generous donors with the causes they care about in the places they love today, tomorrow, and always. More at adirondackfoundation.org.
It's Black History Month, and we're re-airing some stories from the past year that focus on the North Country's black history. In the 1920s and 30s, the white supremacist group the Ku Klux Klan terrorized people in St. Lawrence County, driving out most of the area's black population over a decade. Catherine Wheeler reports on a local historian who's uncovering how the Klan has impacted the region's demographics. The Ku Klux Klan's presence in St. Lawrence County rose after the showing of the racist propaganda film, The Birth of a Nation. Historian Brian Thompson says the local press was supportive of the film's racist themes. Starting in 1922, and after that, the Klan started to gain momentum here. And over the next uh, six to seven years, it was a very prominent force with rallies being held all over the county. The largest rally I found recorded was some 5,000 people on the Potsdam Norwood Road where they recruited 500 new members at one rally. There were chapters all over the county. There was a chapter in Brzee Corners, in Depoister, Potsdam, Messina, Ogdensburg, Oswegatchie, to name a few of the places. Thompson's the historian for the town of DeKalb in St. Lawrence County. He's given talks about the Klan and has written about the North Country's black communities. Thompson says anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000 people would attend Klan rallies. He says they recruited entire social organizations to join their ranks. The Klan was a pyramid scheme. So if you joined... You paid your 10 bucks and the Klegel got so much and the local chapter got so much and the national chapter did. If you brought your friend along and he joined, you got a dollar of his 10 bucks. Thompson says the Klan was focused on forcing out the county's black community. And there were a large number of black workers in Messina working for Alcoa in the early 20s. They managed to... Uh, with the help of the local judge to basically eliminate that black community. Whereas in 1920, there were over 50 black men working at Alcoa. By 1930, there were three. Thompson says the Klan and public officials were using the courts to drive away black residents. Judges would say you can go to jail or leave town. Local elected officials who deliberately in court said... You can either have this punishment for speeding or you can leave town on the six o'clock train. And that was given over and over again in printed records, but only to African-American people living in the county. With one exception, one Russian immigrant was had the same sentence. Thompson says the Klan's violence also targeted Catholics, Jews and immigrants in the county. There was a, one recorded incident where on one night, A cross was burned on every Catholic household between the village of Canton and the village of Pirates, which at that time was a big paper mill town. And most of the employees were Eastern European immigrants and are largely Catholic. And they sent letters to many people telling them they should leave the community for the for the good of the community. Thompson says mentions of the Klan in local newspapers started to die out when the state passed a law requiring oath-bearing organizations to divulge membership lists. He says records show local chapters existed within St. Lawrence County through the early 1930s. Thompson says the Klan's lasting impact is clear in the county's racial demographics. Between the mid-1800s and up until the 1920s, there was a consistent Black population of about 200 people. 
It stayed that way constantly through 1920. By 1930, there's just about 50 black people left. And other than three or four of them, they're all residents of the St. Lawrence Psychiatric Hospital. So the only people who came here for medical treatment from the whole of Northern New York. Uh, and the legend has become there were never any black people here. He says white supremacy drove out a population that could have grown during the Great Migration of the mid-1900s. And he asks, what could have been if the black community in the North Country had been allowed to flourish? We forced our black community out. Niagara Falls, they stayed, they had 300 black people there at the beginning of World War II in 1940. By the end of World War II with the migration north and the war industry, they had, in 1950, they had 3,000 black people. If we had let the 150 black people stay in Messina, would there have been 1,500 by 1950? And what difference would that have made in terms of supporting a vibrant black community? Thompson says knowing this history helps combat deliberate attempts to whitewash the community's history. He says if we can learn from it, we'll be better equipped to challenge similar events in the present and future. Catherine Wheeler, North Country Public Radio. This story originally aired in October of last year. Tomorrow we'll hear the story of Alice Green, an activist and author who grew up in the Adirondacks as one of a few black people in the region. listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. In just a minute, a look for local poetry in many shop windows this spring as part of the Adirondack Center for Writing's annual Poem Village. We've got a preview coming up. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note coming up at 842. First, Todd has a look at the weather. Maybe some sunshine for uh, the region this afternoon. The Weather Service predicting gradual sunshine in places where there are morning clouds. Highs today right around 30. It'll be cold again tonight uh, with mostly clear skies. Lows single digits to the teens overnight tonight. Winds out of the east-southeast today. Then tomorrow, much of the region again, sunshine. Highs near 40 on Wednesday. Highs in the low 40s on Thursday and Friday with maybe some scattered rain showers later on this week. And then colder Over the weekend, the extended forecast calls for partly cloudy skies Saturday and Sunday with highs around 30. Right now in Canton, clouds 17 degrees. April is National Poetry Month, and the Adirondack Center for Writing is looking for poetry written by anyone with a connection to the North Country for the ninth annual Poem Village. Since 2016, the ACW has created broad sides, small posters with poems that are displayed in shop windows in Saranac Lake. This spring, the project is expanding to include Malone and the towns throughout St. Lawrence County. Tyler Barton with the Adirondack Center for Writing says last year a poem village included 170 poems written by fourth graders and professional poets. 
They were installed in the front windows of cafes, convenience stores, and other shops from mid-April through mid-May. Barton says collaborations with the St. Lawrence County Arts Council and Downtown Artist Cellar in Malone will increase the reach of the community art project this spring. What I like about it is it is accessible. It's also democratized. Like uh-huh. We are not evaluating the poems that are sent in. We ask that they be under 25 lines. We are asking that you have some close connection to the North Country. You live here, you live here part-time, you used to live here, or you visit here constantly and you have a real connection to here. You know, besides those two things, we're taking every poem that is sent to us. So it just democratizes. Like, everyone's allowed in. But then you've got poems that are, it's the first poem by a fourth grader about a football game uh, next to a poem by Joe Bruchak, who's, published dozens of poems and is the poet laureate of Saratoga Springs and is an actual professional working poet. These two poems are next to each other and there's not like, they look the same, you know, Uh and the the words uh, can reach people on kind of an even level. Okay, so we've got until like mid-March to get the poetry to you folks at the Adirondack Center for Writing. And then April is National Poetry Month, so it's just really so appropriate that, that you start this in April. Yeah, totally. And, you know, as the Adirondack Center for Writing, we promote poetry all year round. We have poetry readings here, book releases, poetry contests, all kinds of things. We are always shouting from the rooftops about poetry. But in April, it's exciting because the rest of the country seems to join the conversation Mm -hmm. in talking about poetry uh, in one way or another because of it being National Poetry Month. And that's another big part of this is just um, showing that the North Country is deeply rooted in poetry, and that's a, that's a practice that a lot of people are still using, even as technology makes writing maybe less of in people's minds. or it's, There's just like ways that poetry gets marginalized and pushed out to the side, and this is kind of our yearly statement about, like, well, poetry is still alive and well here, and it's growing, in fact. What would you say to someone who might be thinking, well, I mean, I I wrote some poems years ago, or I write a poem for my spouse or for my mother on Mother's Day, but I'm not really a poet. I mean, how, what sort of words of encouragement, Tyler, would you have? My words of encouragement are that poetry is like still is one of the few places where you're allowed to kind of use language in any way you want. Poetry mm-hmm. is always kind of at the forefront, I think, of literature and writing because poets are allowed to break any rules they want. You'll see examples of poets breaking rules or or using different kinds of syntax uh, where they're like ordering words differently or or taking words and reusing them in new ways or not using any punctuation. Um, I think if anyone is struggling with coming up with something to write about, something that worked a lot last year, just serendipitously, this seemed to be like in the zeitgeist of the North Country, is a poem in the form of a list. So last Mm. year, uh, we had lots of fourth graders send us poems, and they actually came to the Adirondack Center for Writing and gave a reading of their poems here. And a lot of them had done exercises in school where they're writing what's essentially a list poem, where the first few uh, words of every line are the same, and they're kind of plugging in um, the second half of the line. Some of my favorite poems were written in the list form last year as well. I have examples, but I don't know if you want me to read poetry. Yeah, Um, if you've got an example, I'd love to hear it. Cool. Okay, cool. So I'll read one from a fourth grader and then another one from an adult, and they both fit this kind of list poem format. Mm -hmm. 
I like this one. This one's called Me by Annabelle Snyder from Bloomingdale Elementary. I feel like a bird when I am jumpy. I feel like a leaf in the air when I am calm. I feel like the sun when I am happy. I feel like the stars at night when I am curious. I feel like a waterfall when I feel them all. Wow. And that's the poem. So it's, it's five lines. Um, some of the lines are surprising. Some of them are predictable, but overall the poem gives me a lot of joy to read. Oh yeah. Um, and then I love this poem by, uh, Vanessa Cicciarelli from Plattsburgh. Uh, it's called shout out to women who are off the rails. I won't read all the lines of this poem cause mm-hmm. it's a little bit longer, but it begins with shout out to the women who are unraveling, losing their patience, their minds, their wits. Shout out to those who are tired and still showing up and those who know when to rest. Shout out to the stay-at-home moms, working moms, and moms who pull double duty. So it goes on like that. It's kind of an ode to people who are busy, stressed, frazzled, but still like making it work. And each line starts with that shout out too, which I thought made a really nice poem. That was one of my favorite ones last year too. So I say that start, if you're not sure where to start, try a list. I personally get a lot of um, inspiration from reading the newspaper I take bits of language that I like from the newspaper and compose like kind of remixes uh, with language that I find in the newspaper. And that's a form of found poetry. So it all goes to what ACW is all about is like showing people all the ways that poetry can be surprising and make people think twice about writing. So Poem Village kind of takes three forms. The first form that's well known is the poems in shop windows that people kind of discover as they walk around. Um, the other form is on our website at adirondackcenterforwriting.org slash poemvillage. Um, you can also just find it by Googling Poem mm-hmm. Village ACW. All of the poems are published on our website to, to peruse through. What we do is each week through April and May, we release like a batch of 25 poems. They'll come out in our email newsletter, but they'll also appear on that page of our site. And so there's a digital copy of each poem. Then the third form is that the poems are also printed on small, like postcard size poems. And these are given to some banks locally, put around in cafes, and um, given to one of our sponsors, Adirondack Health, who uh, puts these small little pocket size poems on people's trays when they uh, hand out meals to their patients. So the bank is handing them out to people with their deposit slips, and then the cafe, you can pick some up with your coffee. So there's that element as well. So we try to really blanket the North Country with poems. Tyler Barton is program manager at the Adirondack Center for Writing in Saranac Lake. He's encouraging all of us, even if you've never written a poem before, to consider writing and submitting your work for this year's Poem Village. The deadline for submissions is March 18th, so you've got about a month with poetry postings starting in April. There's a link with more information on our website, ncpr.org, and you can also visit the website, adirondackcenterforwriting.org. It's 27 minutes past 8.
That's a tune called Classique by the group Project Trio. Time now coming up on 8.30. Monica, that's the end I of Northern I guess that's Life. the end of the show for the day. <laughs> morning Edition does continue in just a couple of minutes. Then after that, it's the Marketplace Morning Report coming up between 8.51 and 9 o'clock, where we'll get caught up on all the morning's business news. Until tomorrow, I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Mill. Thanks for joining us. Be well.